0: Good morning again. I have a cute little story that's supposed to get your interest, but just singing these truths, I kind of feel like maybe we should just pray because we need God's Holy Spirit to do what we are talking about today. So let's pray. Father, we are utterly and desperately needy of you. If you did not rescue us, reconcile us, if you did not take our death and offer life, we would be hopeless. Utterly, totally hopeless. And Father, there's people here today that are hopeless and they don't even know it. They are blinded and dead in their sins and trespasses. They are following the course of this world, they are living out the evil desires of their heart and they don't even know it. Father, Maybe they're religious desires. Maybe they're moral desires. Maybe they're just out and out rebellious desires. And so, Father, I pray you would open blind eyes. I pray that you would use my feeble words to open blind hearts. Father, to rip the veil of Satan that blinds us to the gospel of the glory of Christ. And you would just rip it off today. And you'd save, Father. Save for your glory. Save because your grace is that amazing. Father, use your words. Use me. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue to progress through Colossians, uh, we've seen kind of the introduction uh, we've seen the false teaching that was prevalent there. We've seen Paul's prayer for the church, that he sees those marks of true salvation in their life. He sees their growth. He sees their faith. He sees their love for each other. He sees this stable hope. He sees this about them. And so he prays, I want you to see and know God in a way that changes your life. I, I want you to just be grounded in this hope so that you can endure whatever life faces you face in life with joy. And then he inserted this hymn that we studied last week. And it was a hymn about the greatness and the majesty and the supremacy of Jesus. That Jesus is this God who has created everything and is supreme over everything. And all of the created world, spiritual, and all the created world, physical, that he's over it. And then the same Jesus is the one that is over and exalted and supreme over this new creation, this redeemed thing called the church. And in that hymn, it said he reconciled everything to himself. He reconciled the demonic world to himself by crushing them and conquering them and shaming them and disarming them. And he um, reconciled the created world, which he will one day end and bring in this new creation that is awaiting its redemption. And he redeemed people by the blood of his cross. And he zeroes in today's passage on that last component, the reconciliation, the bringing back to God people by the cross and that's what we're going to look at today and so let's look at uh, Colossians one twenty-one through 23 I know you're worried because you see that few of verses and don't think I can you know cover or you know spend this amount of time on those but don't worry we can do this three verses and you Colossians and you Fletcher and you anyone else who will ever open this book and read it who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister and so what is Paul saying the gospel restores us now and in the future the gospel restores us to God right now and in the forever future called eternity. So let's look at the first step of that. All of us were once enemies of God and separated from him. All of us were once enemies of God and separated from him. Now, this is going to sting your pride a little bit. And it's already stung my pride a little bit. And so I'm just going to tell you what God says. When he uses words to describe you before you knew Christ, and when he uses words to describe me before I knew Christ, They're not real nice words. You know, I I thought maybe I could just be this good moral loss person. I wasn't that bad. But the language the Bible uses about us apart from Christ is very harsh. It'll almost hurt your feelings. And so I may hurt your feelings today, but I don't mean to. It's just God saying what he says about who you are outside of Christ. And so to get to the good news, we have to get through some bad news. And the bad news is pretty harsh and it's pretty bad. And so here it goes. Apart from Christ, you are a God-hating enemy of God. Now that stings a little bit, so we're going to absorb it. Apart from Christ, we are God-hating enemies of God. All right. And so you think, but I didn't think that bad about God. I think he's all right. No, no. Apart from Christ, we define the God we want him to be. And we may be kind of like that God that we created, but we don't like the God who is God as he says he is. And there's three categories of us when we're apart from Christ. There's three categories of lost people. If you read Romans uh, about 118 through 320, you'll get these three categories. And so there are people, and this is what we think about when we think about lost people. There are people that are just far away from God as you can get. And they live like it. And they have all the... Sins, and it's usually the people that are a little, little worse than we are, and those are the bad people, and so we think about this category of lost people, this, yeah, those, they might be enemies of God, and, you know, it talks about, oh, they're, maybe they're drunks, and they're drug drug addicts, and they're living, you know, they are on the streets, or they're doing whatever, they're murdered, or they're in prison, and those are the really bad people, and the Bible also includes those who are disobedient to parents in that same list, and the immoral on that same list. Far away from God, category one. Category two, your good moral people that you encounter every single day are God-hating enemies. Yikes, but they loan me milk when I ask for it. They live next door to me. They watch my house when I go on vacation. They pick up my mail. They take in my trash. They can't be bad, except for they are. They're lost. They're enemies of God. And then there's a third category, and this one gets a little too close to home. I wish I could ignore it, but I can't. There's good, religious, lost people that are enemies of God. And man, they show up to church, and they give, and they serve, and they work, and their names are on committees. And they're lost. And because they're lost, they're enemies of God. See what I mean? It kind of hurts our pride, doesn't it? It's... It's a little harsher than the language we would like to use for ourselves apart from Christ, but it's the bad news that we have to go through if we're going to meet the true Jesus with his true gospel and his true salvation. And so let's look at it in the text as we go from there. So verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's you church people, you Colossians. This is who you used to be, and it's also who the world used to be. And so let's get the flow of the passage so you see it. And then there's a couple of passages that follow an identical pattern, so you don't think I'm just making this up to make us feel bad. So there is this first, the lost condition of mankind, we're alienated, hostile, evil deeds, lost. And then there's reconciled, saved, redeemed, whichever word we put in there. In this case, it's reconciled. And so we're reconciled back to God and made holy and blameless and above reproach. And then there's the ongoing living of life. Now that we are redeemed, if you continue steadfast in the faith, stable and steadfast. And that same pattern is expanded on in Ephesians 2. And Ephesians 2 uses a lot of the same wording. And it talks about you were dead in your sins and trespasses in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan, following him, following his ways. And the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, um, among whom we all, you and me and everyone else, once lived, And the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Lost condition. Just a few more verses on it. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together. While we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up. By grace we have been saved. For we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that we can walk in them. Same thing, lost, very hopeless, saved, very rich mercy, a new lifestyle, a new way of living, changed people. Romans 1 through 8 does the same thing. I won't read all of that or quote all of that. Lost, Romans 1, 18 through 3, 20. Reconciled, Romans 3, 21 through about chapter 5. New life, Romans 6, 7, and 8. And so let's look at This description of lostness, knowing that it's echoed out in other places. And so it says you were once alienated. And I want you to see here there is a status, a condition, alienated, separate from God. Then there's also a heart posture, a disposition that we live in, and that is hostile. And then there is the very natural outflow of that called our works and our actions, doing evil deeds. And so let's look at it. Step one, there's this status or condition we have is alienated from God. The word there is the word for estranged from God. That is, okay, here's God and here's his blessing and here's the hope of the gospel. And we are outside of that. We are estranged from every ounce of hope that comes from the gospel. We are estranged from every ounce of hope that comes from the God who is who he says he is. We are estranged. We have no inheritance, no blessing, no favor, nothing that comes with knowing the gospel. We're It's strange. We're separated. And the tense of the verb in this case is it's a permanent, consistent condition. It's painting for us a picture of hopelessness. It's painting for us a picture of this is the permanent state of the way things are and there is no way to change it whatsoever. You are alienated, period. You're alienated, exclamation point. That's who you are. And then he describes it in step two, right? And this is the disposition. This is the heart posture of everybody apart from Christ. And that's why I'm telling you, I'm using the Bible's words, not mine, to say this. You are hostile in your minds. The word hostile there is the word for active hatred. It is the word for active hatred. It's the word enemy. And so you are actively hating. You are an enemy of God. That's what comes with being alienated from him. The Bible's words, that's God's words for this. It's not pretty. Hostile in your minds. The word mind there is the word for the heart. It's the inner part of the being. The the place of the emotions, the place of the will, the central core that defines who people are. And so at your central core, apart from Christ, alienated from God, is this enemy. Enemy. This hostile enemy. I don't want the God who says he is who he is. I don't want him. I might want a version of him. I I might want a definition of him, but I don't want the one that's right here in these pages because it's the one that's there in reality. We're alienated. We're hostile. We're actively hating. And how else would we live besides doing evil deeds? What else could be the result? If my heart has defected, if my heart is separated from this God, if my heart is hostile to this God, how could I live any way except for doing evil deeds? You see, there is this connection between who we are, our identity, and what our heart posture is and our actions. Your actions and your words and your attitudes will always betray your heart. If you watch over time your actions, if you watch over time your words, if you watch over time your attitudes, it will betray what's going on in your heart every single time. That's where we are. Our hearts are separated from God, or as Christians, the mechanism, the anatomy of sin is my heart defects from God for a period of time. I latch on to something else, and then it shows up in my actions. Now, don't get me wrong. These may be really, you know, good religious actions you're doing. They're just evil because they are coming from this heart that's apart from God. Yeah, they may be really moral, nice, good actions, but you know what the Bible calls that? All of our righteousness is like filthy rags before him. Or they may be just all out run as far as you can from God actions, but the Bible diagnoses it the same way. Doing evil deeds. Hopeless, hopeless, dark, weighty, hopeless, stuck in our alienation from God. That's the picture this one verse is trying to paint. That's the picture Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is trying to paint. That's the picture that Romans 1 through 3 is trying to create because it wants to lock us down into the hopeless condition of who we are apart from God. So, that when we hear amazing grace, when we hear Jesus, we are stunned. So, the goal of the Bible is to lock us up under hopelessness as sternly as it can because there's more to follow. And so, I want you to just take a second and feel and remember the weight of hopelessness that came apart from knowing Christ, if you are a believer. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember now, looking back, the weight of sin and guilt? Do you remember what it was like, how futile and wasted your life was? Do you remember what it was like to have no hope of the rescue of God in your life? Because that's the people that you run into every single day. And they don't know it. They don't consciously know they're hopeless and I want you to remember it because that is what makes us experience grace as amazing we lose our wonder of Jesus when we start to think about hey, we're pretty good things are going okay we lose our wonder of Jesus we lose the voice of a song from our hearts when we kind of get used to Jesus yeah he's good he's okay But when we remember the hopelessness and we remember the lostness, Jesus is that much more precious. And so if you are a believer, I hope you feel the weight of it because you need a burden for the people around you that are lost and separated and blind and dead and alienated from him. And you need a fresh reminder of this thing called grace and how amazing it is. So the first step, that's the bad news. You made it. We're going on now. That's the bad news. All of us were once enemies of God and separated from him. Second, Jesus reconciled us through his death and will present us perfect one day. Jesus reconciled us by his death and he will present us perfect one day. Okay, we're back to the good news now. Y'all join me. We're ready to go. I I, I was just thinking about this from some things this week that have been going on and I, I was just thinking... I should be a statistic. I come from four divorces in my family. I had an alcoholic stepfather, had my first drink out of his liquor cabinet. I should be a statistic. I had plenty of drinks after that. I should be a statistic. I should be one of those children of divorce who's had his own couple of divorces. I should be the guy that started drinking at 14 and never stopped and either functioned or didn't function with that. I should be the statistic. I've got, all the th- I've got all these reasons I can throw up that I could just check out and look at life and be bitter or look at life and wrap myself up and all the things that have gone wrong. Because I've got plenty of them. But I don't. And it's not because I rescued me. It wasn't because Chris cleaned his life up and he quit drinking and he decided to get you know, his marriage right. It's because Jesus stepped into the statistic of Christopher's life and pulled him out with the gospel. And so I don't know what scars you sit there with. They're different than mine. I don't know what you're tempted to wrap your identity up in and cling to. Maybe it's your economic status. I came from a poor home. Maybe it's your um, racial status and there's wrongs that have been associated to that in your life and you've experienced them deeply. Maybe you have been abused and victimized and you can wrap yourself up in that. I just would beg you never to define yourself that way. It is not that God is not gracious and present and active in the midst of your suffering. It's that he has wrapped you in a different set of clothes. I am wrapped in the blood of Jesus Christ, and I will never, ever, ever get what I deserve for that. So let that sink in. You will never get what you deserve because Jesus washed you in his blood. And yes, there are wrongs to right. And yes, we must speak on behalf of those who have no voice. And yes, we must find in ourselves healing, but we cannot Find an identity apart from Christ or we will let ourselves be embittered. We'll let ourselves be a statistic. We'll let ourselves be victims. And we're not. Because in Jesus we will never get what we deserve. We'll get infinitely and eternally better than we deserve. You are not defined by your past and you are not defined by any other factor than whether or not you are reconciled to Jesus Christ for eternity. And that's your identity. And that empowers you to face what you will face in this world. It empowers me to not be a statistic. Not because Chris deserved it. Not because Chris did something about it. But because Jesus chose to rescue me. And that's all the difference. That's all the difference between me and someone else. Is Jesus chose to rescue me by his gospel. Let's look at it. Verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So notice the news switches. You were alienated, estranged, separated from the gospel. Now, why? He has reconciled you. The Ephesians 2 language says he has made you alive together with Christ. And he has raised you with Christ. So what was once separate is now together. What was once separate is united for all eternity. Never to be separated again. And then notice the initiative. He reconciled us. Jesus took all the initiative to come. With the work of the Father and the Holy Spirit in the, tr- in the Trinity, He took the initiative to come. He took the initiative to die on a cross for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the entire world. He took the initiative to be buried in a borrowed tomb. He took the initiative by the glory of God the Father to be raised from the dead. They took the initiative to send the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. They took the initiative to send the Holy Spirit to you, to show you Jesus, to show you the gospel, through it being proclaimed, through it being shared, through it being preached, so that you could be reconciled to God. He has reconciled us. He has pursued us. He has pursued us from heaven to earth, from earth to a cross, to death, to resurrection. He has pursued us to reconcile us back to himself. We were lost and alienated and he has reconciled us. How? How? Did he reconcile us in verse 20? He reconciled us making peace by the blood of his cross in verse 22, in his body of flesh by his death. It was a very real body. And so the Colossian teaching was probably say had this false spiritualism that that these spirit beings are more important than Jesus. And the flesh is not as important as the spirit. But there was a very real body body of jesus and that very real body was beaten and that very real body was put on a cross and that very real body died and that very real body rose again from the dead and all of it was essential to bring you back to god all of it was essential to reconcile you to god by the blood of his cross he made peace between you and god by his death of his physical body He has reconciled you and he has reconciled me. And then as we go on in the text, that's kind of this recent past. And then both in the present and in the distant future. In the present, we are holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And then in the one day future when we will stand before God, we will be holy, blameless and above reproach. Those two words are the the words of being presented to officially and before him. These are very official words. It is when you bring somebody up before a judge for examination. And so Jesus has brought his people to himself and to the Father in different passages and he said here they are. Take a look. Here they are. Examine them. Examine everything about them to the depths and the core of their being. Examine them. And the word before him is the word to stand before a judge. So to be examined and to be judged. Here are my people. And what's the verdict. What's the verdict for you? What's the verdict for me? What's the verdict knowing my past? What's the verdict knowing my present? What's the verdict knowing who I am and how I live and looking in the mirror? What's the verdict? Holy. Holy. Without blemish. There's not one mark of defect on me on you on any of God's people through Jesus no charge can be made above reproach and that's true now we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places but it is one day eternally true where we will stand before the judgment seat and we will be evaluated and the stamp will be not guilty holy, above reproach. That is what Jesus has done for us, alienated people, enemies of his, reconciled and made holy. That's you if you know Jesus. I know you know you. I know you know what you've done. I know you know things you've done that none of us have a clue about, except for God. And you know what his verdict is in Christ? Holy. No spots, no blemishes, no defects, no accusations. We were enemies, and he brought us near. We were enemies, and he placed us in Christ. And then one last step. So in the meantime, we live out our faith with a stable gospel hope. So in the meantime, we live out our faith with a stable Gospel hope and unfortunately, this is the part we leave out of our gospel way too much We leave out the part like okay, I got saved by jesus Punched my ticket waiting on heaven may do some good stuff may not do some good stuff may live how I want May really try hard, but i'm just waiting on the heaven ticket that got punched It's just not the case though there's this whole life in between salvation and eternity That the gospel speaks to just as much as it speaks to our salvation. And so you've probably heard the statement, once saved, always saved. I would change that a little bit and say once truly saved, always saved. And then I would change that a little bit more and say once truly saved, always saved and has a measure of living like it. So I'd probably just keep adding to that statement until it was clearly true. But as we look at the text and as we get to the text, there is this, this, this wrestling of assurance. There's this wrestling of, am I tr- if I'm truly saved, am I saved forever? Is it finished? Is the work done? And so both from the Bible as a whole and from this passage also, there is this idea of once we are truly saved, we will always be saved and there will be change that shows that we live like it. You can go to passages like John 10 where he says, I give them eternal life and no one is able to snatch them from my hands. And so until you're powerful enough to stretch open the sovereign hand of Jesus or the Father, then you pretty much can't end this salvation thing. But you also have this two-sided thing. If If all who are truly saved will endure to the end, then all who are truly saved must endure to the end. God has made it so and it's unchangeable, but it also will show up in your life and in my life. If it doesn't show up in your life and my life, there's a lot of reason to suspect what really happened. And that's why we have passages like Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You have these both sides and we wrestle with it. Why? Because there is this God component that secures us forever. And then that changes us so that there's a living out component that is also part of the saved life. And so I think I would say it this way. There is no such thing as a salvation that doesn't produce changing, a changed life that is also changing. There's no such thing as a salvation that does not change us at all. So let's look at it in the text. If indeed you continue steadfast, or I'm sorry, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. Now that kind of that why I brought that first part up is it kind of feels like a putting a question mark here. If we continue, we get to stay saved? And so it's both the teaching of the scriptures that we are secured by God and his gospel forever and it's not based on our works or we would lose it. But it is also in the passage, it's not as clear. You see, there's, there's, in the English language, if means a condition. I might lose it. But also as you dive into this passage, there are ways of saying if in the New Testament that are, are kind of, and we use it this way too, assuming that. And so I wouldn't change the translation. I would just add to our understanding of it, assuming that you continue in the faith. There is this positive, I expect you to continue. I expect you to follow. I expect you to stay in the faith. I know God enough to know that you aren't going to fall away. If you continue, that is if you actively stick into, adhere to, follow the faith you profess. If your life shows up with gospel change in gospel living and so there is the change you are alienated you're reconciled because you are reconciled you will live differently you will be changed you will continue to progress and live out this faith that you profess and if you don't it's a problem if you don't it's going to raise some question marks for yourself not for me not doesn't matter what i think It should raise some question marks in you if you are not changed by the gospel that you say you believe. If you can trifle around with all the stuff you used to trifle around with. If you can live how you've always lived. If you cannot care about the things of God. If you cannot care that there's any adjustment in your life needed. If you cannot care with sinful activities that don't produce any conviction inside of you. That's not continuing in faith. And then if you continue stable. The word stable is placed on a foundation. That is, there's this objective foundation of Jesus Christ that has been placed under the life of the believer. If you continue on the foundation where he's done everything called the gospel and put you on solid, unchanging ground, he's done it. And then there's the more subjective aspect, steadfast. That's an internal stability. And so if you remain on this foundation that you were set on and you can't move. um, When they were building my house, I've never seen the building process before. Sorry, never seen the building process before But I walk in after they'd done the framing And they put all these wires into the foundation up through the top of the framing in the roof to, to kind of keep it bolted to the foundation I guess it's for hurricanes and strong winds and tornadoes keep it stable So here's what god has done He has drilled down into the foundation and put secure hooks all over your life that can't be broken free no matter how strong the storm comes He's put you on a stable foundation, and then he said, be stable. Okay, I think I can handle that. As long as you do all the work, God, as long as you secure me to yourself, as long as you secure me for eternity, I'll take care of the rest because there's nothing left to handle. And so he has secured us to a foundation and then has called us to to stability that comes from that. And then he calls them back to this gospel and he says, this gospel that I have proclaimed to you that you've heard, or I'm sorry, this gospel that you've heard, it's the same gospel everywhere in the world. It's a universal gospel. It's not this little regional religion. It's not a tribal religion. It's not for the southern folks of America religion or the northern folks or the people in the Middle East or the people in South America. It is a universal gospel that saves people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language so that one day they will gather before the throne perfect and forever declare his praises. That's the gospel. It's universal. And it's the same gospel, Paul says, that I became a minister of. It's the gospel that I proclaim. It's the gospel that called me out. And it's the gospel that sent me across the known world of the time to proclaim it. That's the gospel we're talking about. It's a gospel that says you were lost and I was lost. We were enemies. We were hostile. We were alienated. It's a gospel that says he has come and taken the initiative to bring us back, to reconcile us to God, to restore perfect harmony with God. And then changes completely how we live as we live on the foundation, as we live continuing in the faith that we have called the gospel. It's really that simple. Does that describe you? Does that describe you? Have you been reconciled? to this God through this Jesus by this gospel I didn't ask you if you've been to church you maybe have done all that stuff I didn't ask you if you're a good neighbor good friend good dorm mate have you been reconciled have you run from it you can't outrun the stretched out sovereign hand of God can't outrun it to where you get past his ability to reach you you've not gone too far it's impossible a few practical things as we close i just beg you off of that to be saved i would beg you to listen to the voice of the holy spirit convicting you of sin showing you alienation showing you what it means to be separated from god And that you would turn from your sin and believe. Believe in Jesus. Only, only, only Jesus to save you. A second when Embrace the gospel identity and hope. You are not what you once were. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by any external feature. You're not... Defined by what people have done to you and how people have treated you. or you You're not defined by your upbringing. You are not defined by being raised in church or not being raised in church. You are not defined by what campus ministry you're a part of. You are not defined by being an athlete or not an athlete. You are not defined by how smart you are. You are not defined by your economic status or your race. You are defined by Jesus. And that empowers you to redeem every part of your life that is true about you. And so I would encourage you, embrace your identity in Christ. Embrace a gospel identity and a gospel hope. Do not let something else define you and control you and force you into a status that says you can't be something else and you can't be more because it's a lie. You're not a statistic. You're not a number. You're not a demographic. You're a human being made in the image of God that Jesus died to reconcile. Embrace that. You are not defined by the horrendous sins you have committed in your past. It's not you. It's not unforgivable. It's what grace is. We all need it. Desperately. Last one, live out your salvation in the real stuff of life. He has changed who you are, which changes how we live. We talked about last week. There is not an area of your life off limits to Jesus. Why in the world would you trifle around with the images on your computer screen? Why would you trifle around in bedrooms? Why would you trifle around with drink and weak stuff like that? Why would you mess with that when this is what's offered? And so I would beg you, live out your salvation. Quit dabbling in stuff that takes your eyes off of Jesus. Quit dabbling in stuff that blinds you to Jesus and his glory and his beauty and his joy. Quit playing with it. It's stealing from you more than you can ever imagine. Stealing from you the encounter and experience of a God in whose presence is the fullness of joy. And there is no guy worth that. There is no girl worth that. There is no experience worth that. There is no pride and self-image and self-righteousness worth that. Nothing. Let's pray. Father, it's in the name of Jesus I bow. And we bow humbly. We are what we are because of Jesus. All our hope is Jesus. And without him, there's nothing. There is nothing. And so I ask that you would show Jesus as everything to our hearts again. That you would show Jesus as everything to those who are running from you. You would show Jesus as everything to those who are separated from you. And they would run to you. They would run to you. Father, I pray you would show us Jesus is everything and we would be let, able to let go of our hurts and our frustrations and our angers and our bitternesses and run to you. Enemies made clean. Enemies made sons and daughters. Father, those things that have been done to us, God, that we would find you are a caring, sufficient refuge and that did not define us. They don't get to have us. You do. Father, work that in me. Work that in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we come to our time of invitation, it's simple. If you do not know Jesus, come on, let's pray about it. Or write it on that little white sheet that's in your bulletin. You just make a note. And you say, I need to talk to somebody about that. And we'll make sure it happens. If you're a follower of Jesus, is there some part of your new, new identity that you're not embracing that you're supposed to be, or that it's time to embrace? Is there some part of your old identity that's time to go away? Come right here and ask for it to be gone, or ask for it to come, or do that right where you are. You can respond to this message however God is leading you. But I would encourage you to do an honest evaluation of where do you stand with Him? Alienated, reconciled, the only two statuses. Or what about your life? What about your new identity? Is it time to live out? What about that new identity? Are you not embracing and walking in fully? Or maybe there's something about your life that you know needs to stop. You know it's time to change. You're tired of it anyways. You're empowered because of Jesus to be different. It's time to come ask for it. It's time to write where you are to pray for that or have someone pray with you about that. We're going to stand and we're going to sing and give you an opportunity to respond to God however he's leading you in this moment. Let's stand.